G'day, welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm really excited to be bringing you the results of a massive research study that I've been doing into the historical capital growth that suburbs have experienced over the last 30 years and how that can shape our choice of suburb selection moving forward. And I've been able to discern some really interesting distinctions between how the country areas perform compared to the lower price, the median price and higher priced areas. And then I guess try to give you some comparisons to see does this really matter or not. And I also go through to how this shapes our overall investing and suburb selection. So I'm excited to share with you this episode. Perhaps that's because I'm a super nerd that used to be an electrical engineer. And I just love how stats can impact your ability to create wealth over the long term. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So how important is capital growth rate anyway? That's the question that uh, I've been trying to answer because I guess it can be a bit confusing as an investor when you see the advocates for buying more cash flow, lower growth areas, um, and you see others that are more in favour of the higher-end purchases in quality blue-chip suburbs, and it could be a bit confusing as to you know what you're exactly trading off and what does that look like to the growth in your property and ultimately the wealth that you can create. And I guess I have reshaped my thinking over the last few years to be a mo- lot more about the long term. And a lot of the e- extra reading and educating I've done of myself, it's blown me away the power of compounding of a growth rate and what difference that can make, even when it's a few percent different, what difference that makes over 10 years, over 20 years and over 30 years. And we we need to really start dragging up and expanding our thinking to being over that long term because when you've got short-term thinking, it's all about chunking up some gains, buying well, perhaps renovating it, developing and often when you've got your short term, you end up selling and you lose a lot of that growth and a lot of that gain to taxes and or to partner in many cases if you're doing a project. And so what you can be left with is actually very little. So I've kind of spun my thinking around to be more about the long term, buying in as quality location as you can afford and letting the compounding effect take place. So I wanted to actually quantify what that difference looks like for a similar level of property purchase price and give you some, I guess, meat on the bone to know how important is your growth rate. So I've started compiling and preparing a study over the last month and I've had, I've especially commissioned this research to be done. It's so hard to get a hold of. I tried getting a hold of it myself and tried various organisations and bodies and I've finally found someone to prepare it all for me. And the data I'm putting together spans back over 30 years. So I want to know the median house price changes over 20 and 30 years. Now, 
why am I not looking at the last 10 years? Well, everything in Perth has sucked very badly because we've been in that downward stage of our cycle. And so we need to more look at what's happened historically before that. And if the things uh, that have contributed to that demand have not changed, as in the schools are still quality, the location's still good with its, you know, to the beach, to the city, to the river, its amenities and cafes and other things are there and all the reasons that existed for it to popular in the past still exist, then we can reasonably assume that the growth rate is going to be very similar moving forward. Now, there can always be, you know, major infrastructure or, you know, gentrification that can change an area. But choosing those areas uh, can be a lot more risky because we don't have that proven history of performance. So what I'd normally suggest is that if your budget's in the middle of around the median house price of 480000 at the moment, you look at the historical performances of areas and then you look to choose a suburb that is also going to have infrastructure and other changes and you're getting the best of both worlds then. And the same can apply for the lower price suburbs, but it is, I guess, more of a risk that you're not going to get, you know, as good a growth rate. In the higher end areas, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way that growth will continue because when a suburb is in demand, it gets the better funding for its schools, it gets the better quality of teachers, people families continue to move into the area, everyone takes more pride in their overall properties, has the money to reinvest and expand and grow, they renovate and upgrade their houses and over time it continues to spiral up and be more desirable. But there's not as big a infrastructure changes because things have been in place and well serviced for a long time. So you would expect the higher growth areas to continue as they have done. Median areas usually will continue and there can be some of those uh, you know, infrastructure things that will impact as well as in the lower end, it's more of a risk for the growth level and the infrastructure can obviously still help those areas drastically too. I really wanted to understand what the differences were and some people have been asking me how does metro areas also compare to the country so that was certainly in something that I wanted to answer too and what I've found already in going through the data is distinct brackets of growth that occur. Now the country areas have typically been around a 4.5% and annual average capital growth rate over the last 30 years. Now that's Pretty impressive considering we've had a 10-year lull and that's including the whole 30 years. So it would obviously have been much higher for the 20 years before that. And we're going to be doing some catching up in all these suburbs over the next two, three, five years. So 4.5% was for the country and then the lower priced areas um, were 5%, so only a half a percent difference. The median priced areas were 5.7%, so only 0.7% higher. And the high priced areas were 6.8%, so another 1.3% higher than the medium areas. So there's not that big a change between the lower end areas at 5% and the higher end areas at 6.8%, just 1.8%. So you think, what difference can that really make over the long term? Now, I'm here to tell you that it 
makes a very big difference over the long term. When you uh, start spreadsheeting this out and I guess making a few assumptions so that you can get a a feel for comparison, what I assumed in um, putting some numbers together was the same level of purchase price and I've assumed that to be 480000 Now, obviously, if you're going to buy into a high-priced area, you're going to have to spend more money and like, and similarly for a low-priced area. What I'm looking at here is comparative return and what it means in dollar terms, so just stick with me. Some of my other assumptions has been that you're on a, the highest tax rate possible, so that means that you get more benefit effectively from negative gearing and you pay more tax when you do derive an income from your properties. So that would obviously be slightly different if you're on a lower tax bracket. And I've also assumed, I guess, 100% borrowing. So the holding costs would differ depending on your borrowing level, but I'm assuming 100%. And what we're looking here is to get a comparison and a feel between the country areas, the low priced areas, the medium priced areas and the high growth higher priced areas so as i mentioned there's not it doesn't appear to be much of a difference in the actual percent of capital growth but when we start spanning out over 10 years what we find is that the country areas because they're only performing at four and a half percent compared to you know the the metro areas in perth the difference doesn't appear that great over 10 years. $18,000 actually better off investing in a country area because there's slightly higher cash flow. But when you take that out over 30 years, you'll be $85,000 worse off, which is not that much, I guess, if you're getting a personal pleasure out of the property in the country in, you know, what, in between having it rented out. So not everything's always about purely investment. But that's a comparison to the lower priced areas in Perth. So you're pretty much on on par to slightly less over the long term when you're buying a country property. And some of those country areas that, that were included in there are places like Broome, Bunbury, Bustleton, Geraldton. And so it obviously varies depending on which suburb slash city that is, but they do seem to congregate around that 4.5% longer term. When we go to the lower priced lower growth areas that have had on average of 5% over the last 30 years. Your property's starting at 480. Believe it or not, after 20 years, you're at 1.2 million. And after 30 years, you're at 2 million and 74,000. So that's kind of our base case when comparing the other uh, price point in the Perth Metro. So before I uh, move on, the lower priced areas that this includes would be places like Quinana, Mandra, Gosnells and Armadale. So there's really not too much difference between all of them. They're all back bang on 5% for the last 30 years. So that's why it doesn't matter too much when choosing where to buy uh, in, unless any of them is getting a major infrastructure or other thing that might change that past performance. Now, Looking at uh, how the medium sort of priced areas, medium growth areas have compared, they were at 5.7% ongoingly compared to the lower at 5%. And you can see that over 10 years, it actually doesn't make that big a difference. Mega $5,000 difference over 10 years of holding a property. 
And that's when we can take into account both the cash flow and the capital gain and the likely taxes that you pay along the way. So $5,000 difference. When we extrapolate that out over 30 years, it's a $313,000 difference of owning a median-priced suburb with a medium growth compared to a lower-priced suburb, $313,000. So it really does add up over time, over someone's whole working life, to benefit in you know, even buying in a median-priced over the lower-end areas. And many, I guess, uh, people have said to me, well, you know, why would you spend more? Why not diversify? And there are other factors to consider as well, because when you invest at the lower end and country, it's a lot harder to get, to get tenants. You can have greater vacancy. You can have greater property damage. You can certainly have greater headaches. We know because in managing over 200 suburbs, they're a lot harder to manage in these areas, such as Quinana, Mandra, Gosnells, Armadale. All of that adds up to how easy is a property to hold and it's not just about financial uh, reasons, it's the headspace as well. Um, so now when we start to compare the difference, I guess, between a lower growth area and a higher growth area, so the high growth areas had on average of uh, 6.8. Before I move on, some of the medium areas would be suburbs within Canning, within Belmont, within Wanneroo, typically between 450 and 580. And the lower priced areas would typically be between 300 and 360. And now as we move up into the high priced areas, they're going to be between 800 and 1.5 million. And that's places like Cottesloe, Claremont, Fremantle and Perth City kind of areas. And so, yep, I mentioned that the growth rate on them was around the 6.8% mark. And what sort of difference can that make over 10 years? Well, you'd end up approximately with an extra 70 grand in your pocket after 10 years and all cash flows and growth taken into account. After 20 years, you'd end up with an extra 370,000. And after 30 years, an extra 1.16 million. So it really does make a massive difference if you can get a higher growth rate when you extrapolate this out over 20 and 30 years. So an extra 1.1 million, you know, you're still going to be pretty well off investing in a lower growth area. You're ending up with a $2 million asset after 30 years. But in the higher growth, you'd end up with a $3.5 million asset after 30 years. Keep in mind, median prices are different to get into each. And I'm just trying to give you a feel for the relative value. Now, obviously, if you're you're spending 800 to a million on a high growth suburb, you're going to end up with a lot more in dollar terms as you extrapolate it forward. Probably a lot less hassle because you might have to go and buy, you know, three lower end properties with lower end tenants, lower more maintenance potentially, more hassles potentially, but your cash flow and negative gearing to hold the higher end property is going to be harder. It's going to cost more to hold the property ongoingly. Now, that difference may not be as great now, and I've assumed an average interest rate of 6% over this period. So your holding cost is going to be less now. Your income is going to be more now for the lower end areas and country areas. But I had to make some base assumptions and it, we probably will be returning to 6% over the next, you know, three to five years. We can't stay at historical rates forever, can we? Now, 
What are some of the conclusions I, I guess I drew out of this? Well, growth rate has a massive impact on the wealth that you can accumulate and, I, and it really does reinforce my beliefs around buy in the highest quality area that you can afford. And I was so surprised to see that there being such relative, you know, very little differences between, you know, suburbs that are at a similar price. So investors do make a big fuss over do I buy in, you know, Cannington or do I buy in Belmont? The difference historically has not been that great, for instance. And likewise, when you compare at any of these price points, the difference hasn't been as great. But what we find when we move up into the higher priced uh, areas, the difference can be a, a lot greater. Now, I also happen to look at what were the top 10 best performing suburbs in Perth. And it was very interesting. The vast majority of them all are, are within the higher priced areas. We've got the top three, including Corbinia, that's had a 9.3% average annual growth rate. South Fremantle with an 8.4%. And Maylands tipped in there at 8.3%. So that's slightly lower priced than the others around it. So potentially that could represent a good option for people that don't have the budget to get into these, you know, million-dollar-plus areas. It is also... A really great reason if you're looking to buy a family home why you should look to spend more and buy into a quality suburb and it's what we call live vesting where you intentionally spend some more on your family home knowing that you're going to get these higher than average growth rates and benefit from you know the compounding effect on your family home that also doesn't get taxed so with lower interest rates, it can be a great reason to go into these suburbs over the next three to five years as well. Now, what is the growth on, say, Corbinia that had 9.3%? How does that compare over time? Well, you're going to have to join me in another episode, but you'd imagine that it's going to be significantly you know, greater if it continued at that sort of rate. I meant to actually calculate it beforehand but didn't get to it, sorry. <laughs> so how does this uh, impact your investing? Well, if you're looking to choose suburbs, you can get in touch with me and we can bounce around, you know, specific areas and suburbs that, you know, would be a better choice for the same amount of money. I've been compiling a list based based on a number of factors. When When I look at my suburb selection, I look at, the infrastructure that is happening, what is the rental yield, what is the vacancy rate, what is the recent trend in prices in the area. And we can overlay that with the historical side of things and I can help suggest a number of suburbs that you know look more undervalued for the price that they are compared to others. And that can really help you with your suburb selection. So if you do want to have my input on your strategy and overall suburbs selection go to our website at investorsedge.com.au and go to the investing section and request a chat with me and some of the other things i guess i've drawn conclusion from is that holding a property for the longer term is the real key to the power of compounding and you don't start to truly see the benefits and the differences unless you are holding it 20 to 30 years at 10 years 
the difference is not as great and most people only think about holding for two, three to five years, but you need to be thinking about the long term and not the short term. And probably the big caveat to all of this buying in the, in the highest priced area is you need to make sure you can afford it and afford to hold through interest rates coming up and, and rents are going to come up as well in the meantime, so that's certainly in our favour. But what's the point to buying there if you can't afford to hold it and if you have to sell when times are bad, that's when you know all returns can be thrown out the window and every time that you end up selling as well, what isn't captured in here is every time you end up selling, you end up paying tax. And yes, you get a 50% reduction if you've held it more than a year, but it still eats into your returns and your compounding effect. And so my advice would always be to hold a quality property for the long term. And if you can hold it out over 20 to 30 years, you're going to be a lot better off. And certainly if you can be in these medium and higher priced suburbs, that wealth that you create is going to be even greater for yourself. I know there was a lot of numbers in today. I know that I got a little twisted back and forward in some of the details that I gave you, but hopefully that all makes sense. And if you want to make it real to your situation, feel free to get in touch. And we can also look at where some of the suburbs that you own might sit and that can come into your decision of to whether to sell or hold and at what point to do those things as well. And as a final note, if you're enjoying our uh, podcast so far, I'd really appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, if you can go there and give us one. Certainly subscribe to us on YouTube if you watch on there. And don't forget to join my Property Investor Update. We don't just send out the podcast. We send lots of other helpful things, suburb information and stats on your suburbs of interest as well as special offers. And when we can get back to meeting up in person, uh, there'll be events and other things in, in there if you want to tag along and meet us all. Thanks for joining us and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.